Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Grace, who wrote a book called Chill Out and Cheer Up. Enjoy. Hello, Grace. It's wonderful that we have you here on the Relating to Self podcast. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So you are a yoga teacher. You are also a well-being coach. And you've written a book called Chill Out and Cheer Up. And I haven't read that book, but I'm sure you will be able to tell us what it is about exactly. But before we go there, I would love to just have a conversation with you about relating to self. Like in general, you know, the title of this podcast is chosen because I feel that there is this idea that we have a relationship with ourselves that is often unexamined. And so I'm always very curious um, when I have these conversations on a podcast, when you hear the term relating to self, like how you relate to yourself, what does that mean to you exactly? What comes up when you think about that? Wow, what a question to start on. That's really good. Um, relating to self to me would to be self-aware. So of how I feel, especially in certain situations where maybe I don't feel so comfortable. Um, it would also mean to relate to myself on a, another level. So obviously we can relate to ourselves on a happy level, which is what we all want to strive for but relating to myself on all my levels. So on my fluctuating feelings and how I can, how I can really compose myself in all of these levels. Mm. Yeah, I, I like that. That's, that seems quite similar to this idea that I have that, you know, when it comes to this relationship with ourselves, a lot of people talk about self-love and self-love is something that comes up so often in, in books and in talks and so on. But the reason I prefer relating to self over self-love is that relating to self happens all the time, even when you don't love yourself. Whereas self-love, that kind of feels conditional. Like sometimes I feel a lot of self-love, but also sometimes I don't. And that feels related to these different levels that you speak of. So could you expand a bit of like what, what kind of levels do you perceive are present in you when you relate to yourself? Yeah, I mean, again, I think I agree with what you say when you don't have this self-love you can still be very aware of how you feel and it's actually maybe more overwhelming because you don't have a good handling of yourself because you're not in love with yourself let's say um so when it comes to like these different levels I think it's like in certain times I have more of a handling of myself to become more resilient so um to connect with myself on all of these levels means to become more aware and in tune with how I feel, if you know what I mean. So it really comes in spurts of different times of growth. And um, yeah, through that, you can kind of get to know yourself better. Hmm. 
yeah, like this idea of tuning in to how you feel. Mm. And that makes me curious um, to give an example, like when you tune in to how you relate to yourself right now, what is it your experience? What is your experience of your relationship with yourself in this moment? Right in this moment, right now, yes. <laughs> I would say in this moment, I'm feeling very relaxed and in tune with myself because I'm in the present moment. And I love these moments, actually, because when I'm so in the moment with somebody or with myself, there's nothing else that matters. You know, like I'm not thinking of anything else because I'm right here with you in this conversation. And I love these conversations because that's when you really feel, again, in tune or at, at one, at peace with yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I do. I think there's this beautiful quality of a kind of conversation in which when one person has this quality that you describe of being in tune with themselves, it becomes easier for the other person to also have the same, to like, you know, to get permission to actually yeah. tune into the moment and forget about all the rest. And I think, totally. yeah, I agree. This is what's happening on, on many of the recordings that I have for these conversations. And I, I really like that. I also like that you pointed at this idea of, you know, being in the moment, um, I think that's an important concept for me as well when it comes to relating to self. Could you take me through the process of how you come back to being in the moment when sometimes maybe you're pulled out? Yeah, which is very often because we live in a society that demands us to always be on the go and never kind of just stop and realize where we are. So for me to come back to the moment is to always kind of come back to this mantra, this affirmation that I say that everything is okay the way it is. And I think this always brings me back to me. And I always remember my mom telling me this as well, growing up that, you know, there's no need to worry as it doesn't help. Everything is okay the way it is. And it's just stuck with me. It's just stuck with me because even when there are times when it doesn't feel that way, and it feels like I'm a bit out of control of my life and I feel a bit stuck and, you know, all of those fluctuating emotions, um, I can just come back to the now and come back to the breath and begin to realize, okay, right now is all that matters. And if we do that, we can practice more self-awareness and more mindfulness in everyday life. And I think that is kind of this, this trend right now, which is hopefully helping us with stress, the everyday stresses in life. Um, because, you know, I really believe in the power of words and the power of us talking to ourselves kindly it's, it really helps in, in a lot of ways. Mm, yeah. Beautiful. Well, there's many things there to, to dive in. I'm, I'm really curious about first this idea that your mother apparently imparted on you of like, you know, everything's okay the way it is. That sounds like a combination of some kind of acceptance of just like seeing what is and accepting that state as it is right now. Yeah. And then also, um, on top of that, this idea of like, you know, there's no need to worry and, I would relate that to something like worrying doesn't change anything. Like, yeah, you know, sure. if, if whatever happens, if I worry about it more, that doesn't improve my situation. On the contrary, it often like, you know, narrows my mind to a place where it doesn't feel very comfortable. I am really curious also to hear your, your take on worry as a, as a form of thought, right? And how perhaps you have 
delivered yourself from from this pool of worry because worry can be something quite powerful right like people worry and they have trouble of getting out of that mind state and it feels like for you that's not the case maybe because you grow up in that way but i wonder if you have any kind yeah. of like ideas or techniques that help you not to worry yeah i guess this is also what i help my clients with because i see that a lot of people struggle with anxiety these days which is a catalyst of worry and of course, I think also the fact that society has pushed us to just completely worry all the time through capitalism, through consumerism, we're always pushed to worry to then want to consume, you know, for we know what I mean, like with clothes, with just completely endlessly wanting more materialistic items. So one way that I tend to narrow my mind away from worry is to just kind of know that I have all I need as well I mean I know I'm saying all of these affirmations but it's so true like there's nothing else that I need and everything I have is within me and I think I always have to remind myself that and then the worry just disappears um and again the breath is very key to to coming from away from the worry because when you come to the breath, you come back to the present moment and you realize that you're in tune with your body, you know, because your body and mind are connected. So if your body is telling you something different, then you should tune in and tune out from the outside. So this is also what I like to teach my clients as well in yoga with the with breathing techniques, as I'm sure you're also into. Um and it just really helps you to also kind of notice that you are your own entity, but we're all connected at the same time, you know, kind of understanding that concept that you are your own, but you're also connected. Hmm. I don't know how I just got to that concept, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I, mean, um, I want to go back to the, to the breath though, because indeed, yeah. yeah. Um, for me, the breath is incredibly important and, well, I imagine in my life, my connection to my breath, especially arose during my years as a professional singer in, in which the breath is crucial. So I have devoted a lot of just attention to what my breathing is doing. And in that way, um, I think I've managed to come to a place where my breath greatly helps me to navigate life. But I'm very curious when, when you say, you know, you also teach people these breathing techniques. We haven't talked on the podcast about breathing techniques at all so far. So I'm really curious if you could say something more about which kind of techniques you use and how they work. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. Well, I like the basic um, six, seven, eight breathing technique. Um, so taking, well, firstly, you have to get used to it if your lungs aren't used to breathing for so long. But, you know, normally I start with like two, three, four, then five, six, seven, then six, seven, eight. So taking two breaths and three breaths and four breaths and then like working your way up. Um, and then as you work your way up, you become more, more again, in tune with how long you can hold out the breath and also in tune with the moment because you're just always thinking of the breath. And I think that's the whole point in breathing techniques is that you're con completely consumed and controlled by the breath and you're noticing that wow this is what is controlling me like the whole time you know what I mean it's so simple but if you come back to the breath it you kind of acknowledge just how pure and how 
how unique it is that we we are controlled by the breath and we actually control it ourselves and it's a an amazing technique to just come back to to get yourself back into to into calmness into stillness that we're we're purely made of yeah it's this it's this really interesting mixture like you said between controlling and controlled where the breath is one of those systems that runs automatically in our body we don't have to think about breathing but at the same time it's one we have control over we can actually stop breathing or we can manipulate how we breathe um, as opposed to for example our heart rate which is kind of like more independent but i would like to understand better what you mean with like this six seven eight technique because i i didn't really understand is that about counting or like how does that work Yeah, so it's counting. So you count for six breaths. Sorry, you count for six as you breathe in and then you hold it for six and then you breathe out. And then you do the same with seven. You oh, breathe okay. in for seven, you hold it for seven and then you breathe out. So it's really good technique to um, open your lungs as well as like open your chest, relax your shoulders um, and it's quite a hard one to do if you're not used to breathing techniques because it's quite a long time, six, seven, eight. That's why I said, if I start with two, three, four, then right. it kind of prepares you, but it's really nice because as I said, you, you're counting as you breathe. So all you're doing is completely concentrating on the breath and on this technique. So that really like stills your brain and brings you back to the moment. And that's quite, I quite like to start a, a yoga class on it for example mm -hmm. because that brings you into where you are so it's basically a technique to to lengthen the breathing cycle and to take slower breaths or exactly less less breathing in one yeah yeah makes a lot of sense you said something else that i want to go into for a while which is this beautiful concept of talking to ourselves kindly and i want to know how how that works for you could you talk us through how you talk to yourself kindly. Yeah. So, I mean, I have to say as humans, we struggle with talking to ourselves kindly. I think we all are in this negative mindset because of our survival mode. So we're just used to talking to ourselves in a negative manner. But when I realized I, I was going through a really tough time with mental health issues for the past half a year, basically, And I was having suicidal thoughts. I was suffering a lot from depression. And it was when I realized that the way I speak to myself is the way I'm living. And I know it sounds quite simple and I don't mean to do it like that. And I don't mean to say that it's easy to just switch because it isn't. But when you realize that you're in, in power and you're in control of what you think, you then realize that you, you can treat yourself well. So I remember my friend gave me um, a, a resolution for the new year because she could tell I wasn't doing very well. She said, treat yourself like me, treat yourself like a friend. And I was like, okay, I mean, that sounds pretty simple, but it isn't. <laughs> We do not treat ourselves nicely. And I loved the resolution because like whenever something would pop into my mind, I'd just be like, I wouldn't say this to a friend. So why am I saying it to me? And I think it was so good. It really helped me. Um, it really helped me like infuse this happy, kind words within that would help me then kind of prop myself up again and feel okay. You know, like I said before with the affirmation work and just like, you wouldn't speak to your friend the way you speak to yourself. So why are you doing it in the first place? 
Mm. Yeah, I really like that. That's a really good metaphor. And yeah. what comes up for me is something like, you know, if you'd spend 24 hours a day with a friend, then maybe you would treat them a bit less kindly as well. <laughs> you know, it's just a lot to be with someone yeah. all the time. So I guess maybe that's why sometimes that's challenging with ourselves as well, because we are in our own presence. Always with yeah. ourselves. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. Um, I really love this phrase you said, though, that the way I speak to myself is the way I'm living. And you're yeah. right, it, it sounds simple and it's a simple concept, but it's difficult to change, right? Um, there was one thing you said, though, and that, that something like that you can control your thoughts. And I would say that for me, that doesn't sound entirely accurate because I certainly can't control my thoughts. But the thing that I noticed is that I can choose which thoughts I engage with. Like, yeah, that's kind of like randomly pop up, right? I have all kinds of thoughts going all kind of different places all the time. But then I choose where to put my attention, like which thoughts do I give more space? And that for me has been crucial in, in navigating how to speak to myself and how to, how to think to myself internally. For sure. I like the way you say that because it's a choice, but like the way we navigate ourselves is the way that we then nurture ourselves. So it's kind of like re-engineering your mind, like in a way where you you become aware of the things that you're saying. So obviously there's times where you're going to say, oh, I'm so bad or I'm I'm ashamed of this or that. And you can't stop it from coming up, but it's about becoming aware of it, being there and thinking to yourself, actually, I'm going to change this around and rather say this, you know what I mean? So like when I feel bad, I'm... I'm like, okay, but I have a choice to now re re-engineer myself and find another way to get out of it. But it's not always possible. And I completely get that. And that's what I don't want to say that it's simple because it's not simple. It just takes practice. As anything, it takes practice. And as anything, self-awareness takes practice and becoming aware of the thought then enables you to become more choosing of, of what you think as well. Yeah, I I agree so much. I think this is really important, this idea of practice as a concept. Yeah. And I was just going to say, actually, what you describe in the way you navigate that sounds quite similar to the way in which I have my meditation practice, which is also this idea of, you know, sitting and trying to be aware to what is in the moment and then noticing all kinds of things coming up, thoughts and feelings and sensations. And then whenever I notice those, letting them go and returning my attention to what is and that could be either breathing or a specific sensation in a body or maybe just um, a sense of being even and so I wonder if you think about practices do you have any other practices that help you in relating to yourself oh that's a good question actually yeah I mean I guess I do I I have rituals where I come back to myself which where journaling is a massive one um when I journal I really enable myself to feel and to acknowledge what emotions are going through and how I want to feel and how I will feel um yoga is also a great tool in the sense of moving with my body and kind of noticing again the feelings going through and praying as well, praying and reading the Bible for me is also a very spiritual act of kind of handing myself over onto, um, 
onto another path that I can put perspective on the things that I'm doing and the things that I'm relating to. So I guess I do have quite a few practices that would bring me back to myself. And I think everyone should. I think we all should kind of have our own personal practices so that when we do feel lost, we can come back to them. Because when you feel lost, it's the worst thing, you know, not knowing what to do. So that's what I always try and tell, you know, my friends, my clients, just people in general, like when you feel lost and lonely, always come back to you by seeking out these practical ways that you know will put things into perspective again. And that's for me as a writer, journaling really helps me because it's just the flow of my subconscious on paper, like <laughs> just like flowing with my thoughts that that helps me um helps me really like gather my thoughts and and make sense of them. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. And I really like that you include also a physical practice, which I feel yeah. is something that I've been, I've been struggling with, to be honest. And yeah, yoga, yoga is something I've given a try at several stages of my life and I've never been able to build a consent, consistent practice with it. So I wonder if you could speak a bit about yoga in terms of like what it means for you when it comes to relating to yourself, right? Because obviously there's, there's the teaching aspect in, in your work. And um, yoga is also an excellent way to kind of like tune into the body, I assume. But when it comes specifically to like relating to yourself, how has your yoga practice helped you or how did it change your perception of who you are? Good question. I mean, I found yoga through stress when I was studying at university and it really helped me to bring back some sense in my body and my mind. So yoga means union. So it's like uniting body and mind at one. And I think that's for me, how it brings me back to myself because when you feel, you know, all of these emotions lost, lonely, lingering, then just rolling out my mat and just flowing with my body. Now that I know my practice as well, you know, I don't have to put a YouTube video on like I used to, but I can actually just kind of flow with my body and my mind. And then at the end of it, I'll just feel refreshed. And for some people that might just be drinking a coffee or making and drinking a coffee, which I completely get because that's what it's like for my dad. He has like a half an hour ritual. <laughs> but for me, it's like my half an hour ritual of yoga. But I'm not saying for everyone, yoga is for everyone because sometimes I say that and I think, oh, there's so much pressure these days in the world because I know yoga passive trend isn't it at the moment and I understand why because it's helped me out so much but I also understand that there's things that aren't for everyone so if it wasn't for you then don't worry about it I mean you know it's like jogging isn't for me <laughs> mm, yeah, that's a good point I, I really liked something you said there and this this idea of like you know just rolling out the mat yeah and what I'd brought up for me is that for, for me too for a lot of my practices kind of like the first step of the practice almost is enough to immediately get me to that place. Like just, you know, lighting the candle and sitting down for my meditation almost feels as meaningful as the whole meditation itself. Or taking my journal and going to sit at my desk at the window where I journal every morning and just like nice. sitting there and opening the journal, right? That's yeah. almost enough. Like that already creates the, the change in mindset. 
So I, I really like this idea. And maybe that's my solution. Maybe I, just, I should just roll out a mat and then not yeah. worry too much about the yoga. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just do the first step and then see how you feel. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I like that. Um, Grace, I would love to know if there is like something that's difficult for you in your relationship with yourself. What is it that you struggle with? Whoa, what a question, hey? I think we all have these things that we struggle with ourselves. And for me, it's about my boundaries and boundary setting. Not with other people. I'm quite good with that in general, but with myself. So like how far sometimes I can push myself or how far I pressure myself. In fact, it's the first chapter of my book, Pressure. And it's because I struggle with it the most. I'm honestly so bad. I just, I really pressure myself not to be always productive, but also pressure myself to be, to be the best version of myself, to, to always be improving myself. And maybe you could call me like a self-development maniac. I mean, I quite like it, but sometimes it can get too much. And I pressure myself a lot that ironically my dad when he he saw me pressuring myself a lot when I came out of the mental clinic he said this isn't good for you you should just read the first chapter of your own book <laughs> and I was like okay yeah maybe you're right so that's when I made it into a podcast and I read it out loud to myself and I was like wow okay this is like me speaking to myself <laughs> for a good reason so mm. yeah I would say I really struggle with pressure yeah, I think you're hinting at something really beautiful there. That is something I've experienced as well. It's not because you understand something and you gain an insight and maybe you write about it or speak about it that you fully embody that, right? And I have the same sometimes when I read like past entries in my journal where I'm right. like, oh, yeah, I wrote this a year ago. That was such a good insight. Like, why have I forgotten it? Or why am, not, why, why am I not practicing right. it every day? Yeah. Right? I think that's the same, but as to, I see what you said, this idea of, of pressuring yourself. I feel like that's, um, like a dark, like maybe like a shadow side of a lot of the self-help industry, so to call it, of this idea of self-development when it becomes something that you should do instead of something that you want to do. Should. Right? I think yes. it's that word, isn't it? Yes. The should word, yes. the evil I sh word. <laughs> I should be better. I, I should do more yeah. to get myself to a peaceful place. You know, I, sh well, I yeah. should do more to get rid of my ego and all these kind of statements. And I think ultimately that's very unhelpful. So my way to counter that is to practice compassion. Oh, of course. And to realize that I'm human and that I will fail in many ways, in many ways many times and that that's part of the process and so every time I feel that idea of, of what you're calling like pressure this you know I should do more I should do better I should be a better version of myself already and that's continuous right I just go like wait but I'm human I'm fallible it's okay and also an, an idea that came on one of my podcast conversations here with with rule was this idea that you know we can accept our own mediocrity Like, it's okay that I'm not the best possible version of the yeah, best possible nice. person on earth. Yeah. But just, I am who I am right now with all my flaws and my nice sides. And I think there, this, this compassion really helps me to navigate that. So, as for you, I, I hear you. I think it's really interesting also this idea of 
not having trouble with boundaries with others, but having troubles with boundaries with yourself. So the obvious question would be, how are you navigating that? Like, what are you doing to improve that without putting more pressure on yourself to like, you know, yeah. have to improve it? <laughs> to improve the boundary setting of myself or with yes, others? With yourself. With myself. Um, like you said, it's about practicing compassion and kindness to myself. And again, coming back to treating myself like a friend, um, which I really took on board and which really, really helps me. And to notice that the outside pressures are outside pressures. And sometimes we don't need to live up to them. Sometimes they're just there because unfortunately society wants to control us. So when you kind of put things into perspective like that and you can see, well, this pressure is because of that and you can attach the pressures to different parts, then you detach yourself from the pressure because my problem a lot was attaching myself to these pressures. So for example, when I came out of the mental clinic, I felt so pressured to find a place to live, find a job, uh, sort my life out basically. <laughs> and I attached myself to all these pressures that I felt inclined to do it all the time. And I felt inclined to never rest because I didn't feel at peace. And that's when I was like, wait a minute, finding a place to live. Actually, I should be thankful. So coming back to gratitude, really, for me, it is being thankful for the roof over my head, being thankful for my dad being able to support me. Secondly, finding a job. Actually, right now I need to recover from my mental health, what I've just been doing in the mental clinic and not rushing into things. So it's always for me about yeah, gratitude and coming back to being thankful for what I have and not what I don't have. Because I think we struggle with that a lot in general in our society is we always seek out what we don't have. Like Corona might have taught us quite a good lesson, actually, I think. I'm actually writing a new book about the lessons that we're learning from Corona. And I think that's this, that what we don't have, we just have to accept at the moment. We can't go out for a beer with our friends. We can't go to the cinema with our friends. And there's nothing we can do about that. And rather, we should actually see what we do have on the inside in our cozy homes. And a good book and a, and a, cup, a cup of coffee is really what we need. Do you know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. you really get to know these simple little things are... The bigger things in life I mean for at least for me it's really shown me that I mean I already knew that but I think it's clarified it more for me during corona yeah I hear you I think for me as well gratitude is one of the core pillars of of the practices uh, the other two yeah. being forgiveness and compassion for me yeah and I, I want to come back to what you said before, though, because I think you highlighted something really important, this idea of attachment, right? So it's not just the pressure to be a better human being or to develop yourself that is a problem. It's the attachment to the pressure. And I wonder if you have found any ways to reduce attachment to these kind of issues for yourself. Yeah, that's a good question. I think... To reduce pressure is to put it into perspective for myself. Um, so really question, questioning it, actually, questioning the pressure. So like any other emotion like anxiety, fear, doubt, they just pop up out of nowhere sometimes and they make us want, they make us feel all of these negative emotions. So I see it pop up and I ask it, why is it there? What, what are you doing for me? 
you know, I asked the five, I think this is what I included in my book, um, the five W's. So like the five questions. So like, what is it doing there? Why is it here? Who is it concerning? I don't remember the other two, but <laughs> it's okay. Um, but, you know, kind of just questioning the pressure and detaching yourself from it that way so that you know that it's not a part of you, but it's just something that you're feeling. Hmm. That makes yeah, sense. That, that sounds very similar to one of the practices that I have that is more about nice. tension. Like I tune into my body, I look into my body where I feel tense, and then I ask questions to that tension directly. Like, you know, why are you here? What are you trying to tell me? Uh, what's the purpose of this tension? And I just listen to whatever comes. And sometimes nothing comes. Sometimes interesting things come up that may or may not be related to the tension, but it's always an interesting exercise. So that sounds quite, quite similar to what you're doing with, with this idea to reduce attachment by, by questioning why things are there. And yeah, I like questions in general as a, as a method to yeah, me engage too. with life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I for, forgot who said that, but I think it's something like, you know, the quality of your questions determines the quality of your life. And nice. I definitely feel that there's that. something there. Yeah. Mm, beautiful. Grace, I would love to know a bit more because you've, you've said a couple of things about it, about, about your book, right? And um, what is the book about? Why did you write it? Yeah, so I wrote it originally because I wanted um, people to find some peace within um so that's why it's called chill out and cheer up i found that we have um unfortunately a concoction of mental health issues in the world that aren't decaying but are rather rising so when my best friend unfortunately passed away at the age of 21 from mental health issues i had this urge within me to do something and a year later this urge came up as me writing a book so I followed my heart and I let my heart speak. And that's kind of the product that's on the pages now, um, leading people to become more at peace with themselves and with the world around us. So it's basically set out in 10 chapters. There's five chapters surrounded around negative emotions. So we have pressure, fear, doubt, and how society is pushing us to feel these and how we can deal with it. And then the other five are centered around positive thinking, nature, connection, and how we can connect with these, these entities, these simple things to bring more fulfilling and meaning in our lives. Um, so that's, yeah, that's basically what it's about and why I wrote it. And I feel like it does have potential in, in showing people that everything is okay. <laughs> mm. I'm curious because you mentioned like this idea of like having a book in 10 chapters, five about negative emotions and then five about positive things to have maybe uh, counter them. And you mentioned nature. Um, I would love to know how that works. What Tell us how nature can improve your mental health. Yeah, I mean, nature has this absolute healing power, which I've always kind of noticed from when I was little. Um, I was brought up in England, but my grandparents lived in the Black Forest where I now live. And the forest for me was always a place where I lost myself and kind of reconnected with myself at the same time. And 
it just it made me notice how much of an effect nature has on you and it was only when I was doing research for my book when I was doing the chapter about nature that um in Japan you know they do the forest bathing well they've actually called it forest bathing (laughs) and this is a therapy where people just go into the forest and you and it it gives you an amazing feeling because it gives off um all of those like dopamine and everything just being close to trees I mean they are the longest living organism in the world but it makes I think it just makes you realize not just the forest but whenever you're in nature how at peace you are if you just think about it, when you're on the beach, when you're in, uh, walking up a mountain, when you're in a forest, you experience this peace within. And I had to just share that in my book, how nature reconnects you with yourself and how it's free. <laughs> it's really free for us to just go on a walk for simply 10 minutes and reconnect and disconnect to everything else. And unfortunately, as humans, we're destroying it. And I think that's why I wanted to write more about it, because what are we doing? Like Mother Nature is always there for us and has never been against us. But unfortunately, we're the ones that are trying to ruin it with pollution and everything else. So I was kind of trying to just bring that awareness around the healing gift of nature and how we should be protecting it as well. That brings up a story for me. Um, I remember one of the very first times that I went to live abroad. I have a long history of of living in different countries. I went to the south of Spain and nice. in the south of Spain in Andalusia and there was pretty much nothing there. I was living in a, an incredibly beautiful small town. Whereabouts? It's called Bejer de la Frontera. I know it. Yeah, I lived in Sevilla. (laughs) I wrote my book in Sevilla, actually. So that's so funny that you have that connection. (laughs) Well, but I remember that when I lived there, um, I felt a bit lost because it was the first time that I was really, I would say, autonomous. Before that, living in Belgium, you know, I had my my profession, I had my singing gigs, I had my composing gigs, I had my friends, I had my social context. But then I moved to Spain and I had nothing there. And for the first time in in my life, I was confronted with this idea that I had absolute power over everything I did. Like there was nobody who was telling me you have to be there at that time or anything like that. I could just choose to do whatever I wanted to do at any point, which was really strange at first and and very um, threatening almost. Like I, I didn't know what to do. And I remember on, on one day I, I just took the car and I drove to a forest and my thought was to either read or work in the forest. So I had a book with me and I had my notebook and I was like, I'm going to sit in the forest and work. And what happened actually is that I came to the forest. I walked around, I found a spot where I could sit and I just sat against a tree. I took my notebook and then nothing happened. I just sat and I don't know how long I sat there, but I think quite a while. And I was like, this is awesome. I'm just sitting, just surrounded by this forest. And that was all I needed in that moment. And it was a beautiful experience. Wow, that sounds so similar to me when I go in the forest. You just have to let it work. It's magic. (laughs) Yeah. Beautiful. Grace, as we come closer to the end of this conversation, I have one more question that I'm curious about that I often ask, or always actually. 
and it's a bit of a curveball. So the question is, which question were you hoping to receive from me, but that I didn't ask you in this conversation? What a good question, hey? Um, I want to say what my self-care routine is, but you did kind of ask me that when you were saying, how do you keep up this in check with yourself? Um, and that's when I shared it. So maybe that, but you did cover it in a different language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. There are many, many paths that lead to the same goal, right? Yeah. Mm, but is there anything that you think you, you want to add to your self-care routine that maybe you haven't highlighted as much as you would like to? I think actually having one. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> like for me, it was when I was in the mental class, clinic I lost my morning routine which simply concerned me making a cup of tea in the morning and I couldn't because they made it for us and that one simple thing being taken off my list of to-dos was quite hard because it it put my self-care routine in a bit of a bit of a mix so I also noticed I made friends in there and when you don't have a routine of any sort, even when you don't have to work, I mean, let's take work out of the equation here. Self-care is about tending to your needs. So that is making a cup of tea, that is reading a book, that is writing. And when you don't have any of this in place, that's when you start to really feel those, those dark emotions. So actually, it's just having a routine that has helped me get out of the dark hole that I didn't think I would come out of at one point. Hmm. I'm curious, did you develop a different routine while in the mental clinic? I did actually. I started to write more often um, because I write on Medium too, which is this platform. And in the mornings, I would just, instead of just writing my journal, I would have a, a routine now of writing an article for medium writing in my journal and then writing my book so three three writing sessions in one <laughs> um but my morning time is is the best time for my creativity so yeah interestingly enough when I was in the clinic I I, I made a new routine for myself and it's it's going quite well actually um again though what I want to make clear is if you don't stick to your routine don't worry I mean there's that that's that part again isn't it when the negative thoughts come in because sometimes when I don't write in my book one morning I get so mad at myself and I'm like why didn't you do that today like oh you should have written 500 words like you need to stick to and then I'm like wait a minute Grace come on you didn't feel like it the inspiration wasn't there it's okay <laughs> so one thing yeah is have a routine but if you don't stick to it don't make yourself bad for it <laughs> Yeah, I feel I almost have the opposite problem, which is something like I'm getting so good at being compassionate with myself that whenever I skip my morning routine, I'm so chill that I'm like, wait, That's should I nice. be should I be a bit a bit more a bit more disciplined? Like, yeah, <laughs> because it, yeah. it feels very nice to be so kind to myself that you know I don't have to do anything if I don't. I know feel what like you it. mean. But yeah, yeah. There's a balance there, I think, to be found. Um, For sure. But I I, I do. I do acknowledge what you say that, you know, it's sometimes surprising how much one small change in our daily habits 
can like dislodge the other ones. And I felt oh, it also totally. recently. Yeah. yeah. I, I, for a while, I went to live in a, in a community in, in Portugal with a bunch of other people. Nice. Yeah, nice. But um, I felt it very difficult to meditate in the space where we were. Uh, there was a meditation temple, actually, ironically enough, because in my home, I just meditate, you know, on my carpet in my living room. But in the retreat, there was a meditation temple. But because there were other people in there, I felt that had a very different kind of vibe I, for me. Yeah. And so I, I tried, but I had to exert a lot more intention and like energy to tell myself, okay, I will go and sit there in meditation. So after a while, I just stopped doing that. And then from there, all my other practices that were linked to the meditation kind of like also became a lot harder to keep up. So yeah, I, I totally see how even that making the cup of tea, which is also something I do every morning for myself, like taking that away changes the flow of the rest, right? It does for sure. It's kind of crazy how it can just put everything out of sync. You know what I mean? But it's also good. It go it's good to show you what, what works for you and what doesn't work for you best. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Grace. There's one more thing I want to ask you, and that is, is there anything that you want to share with people who listen to this podcast? Like, you know, where can they find you? Can they read you somewhere? Um, those kind of things. Yeah, thank you. So you can find me on Instagram at Gracie Grossman. And you can find my new book, Chill Out and Cheer Up, a 10-step guide on Amazon. Um, it's available as an ebook as well as a paperback. And um, yeah, it would be lovely to connect and it would be lovely to um, hear people's reviews of my book um, and see how it helps you because it's there for you as a guide. And I very much... Um, I'm here for people that need me as well. Um, I always think that we all need someone to reach out to. So yeah, I'm always here. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Grace. I'm going to post the links to both your Instagram and the book on Amazon in the description of the podcast so people can easily find it. Then all that rests is to wish you a wonderful continuation of your day. Thank you. I wish you the best too. Thanks. Bye, Grace. Bye. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks.